this situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. We've heard for years, players in the NBA, whether it's uh, star players, sometimes not even great players. Uh, asked to be traded or demand to be traded. And one of the um, normalizations in the NBA, as we've seen now, are players to hold out until the moment that they're traded. And we've seen it from big-time players. James Harden, you know, I'm not the greatest James Harden fan, but I acknowledge he's a great player and he's going to the Hall of Fame. Several other players in the NBA have waited, you know, not played for their respective team until they're traded. And now I believe we've hit an all-time low. You have a role player, a good player, um, perhaps a glue type of player when it comes to certain teams, but all of a sudden he has taken his level or mental level to a higher game. And this is what kind of bothers me about the NBA. There's no reason that Jay Crowder should be sitting on the bench waiting for the Phoenix Suns to trade him. First of all, unless you're a good time NBA fan, that means you follow games day in and day out. You know the players. You follow the team through the playoffs. You, you may not have to be a diehard NBA fan, but you have to follow the NBA on a regular basis to know who the hell Jay Crowder is. And Jay Crowder's not making all-star teams. Jay Crowder is not... Um, winning championships for a given team, he is not going to be the reason that a team wins a championship this year. Hey, he might be on a team that is the, you know, wins the championship. You know, Robert Ory, what, was that, what, five, six NBA championships he was part of? Uh, you could say, hey, he had a couple big shots, but uh, those teams might have been able to win without Robert Ory. And the same thing you could probably say about Jay Crowder if he happens to be on a team that wins the NBA championship this year. Two things I got with this. Number one, he's playing for the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are one of the best teams in the NBA. And you tell me that if you look at the Suns, you, you can't tell me that this is a team that you believe ha has a chance to win the NBA championship. So you're going to tell me that you have to go to other, another team, a team that maybe has more of a chance to win the NBA championship? First of all, I don't understand Crowder's take to even want to be out of Phoenix. Number one, that's the biggest thing. You're already on a good team. You're on a team that was in the NBA Finals a couple years ago. You're on a team that should compete this year to win an NBA championship this year in 2022-2023 and, you know, for whatever reason, want out. And any other element, which I touched on, and you kind of get the gist of where I'm going, you, you have to be an all-star. You have to be a top player in the NBA to have the audacity to be able to sit and not play until your team trades you. And we could talk about it all day, and you could say, oh, man, well, he's he's a veteran. He's been in the league for a while. He has played for some good teams. I get it. And you know what? I might even back off the point of knowing a little bit about who Jay Crowder is. 
know, he's not a complete nobody. So this shot that may be perceived that I'm throwing out here uh, may say, hey, who the heck is Jay Crowder? Well, I say it for this reason. Because he is not an all-star. He is not a type of player that is going to turn a bad team into a good team. He's played well for Phoenix over the last couple of years. You've seen he's played for Cleveland, for Boston, for Miami. Um, a lot of teams that have benefited from him being an important piece. But he's nowhere a number one. He's nowhere a number two or even a number three for any team. You can't find one NBA team that is going to take Jay Crowder in and say, hey, it's going to be one of the top two or three basketball players on my team. And why? Maybe I'm wasting a little bit too much time talking about this. My point is, who is Jay Crowder? Jay Crowder has not earned from his experience in the NBA enough clout to be able to, number one, ask for a trade, which, by the way, is in a league by itself. So I'm saying, in addition to the audacity to ask for a trade for a team that was in the NBA Finals a couple years ago, you actually have the balls to say, I'm not going to play until you trade me. He's not Michael Jordan. He's not Wilt Chamberlain. He's not Larry Bird. He has not earned the right to be able to ask for a trade, let alone sit out until the team he happens to play for finds him a match. That's number one. The Portland Trailblazers. This is a team that really hasn't had distant NBA success since at least I remember in the 90s. And I think they've really turned the corner here. There was a lot of uh, issue taken when it came to the hiring of Chauncey Billups as a head coach. And listen, you know, there, there are different levels of you know things that should disqualify people in the hiring process. So I'm glad the Blazers did their job and their due diligence before they hired him. You know, anytime that there's any, you know, sexual misconduct or harassment and stuff that has happened over a series, you know, happened years ago, I think it should, should certainly be looked into. The Blazers coming off of, a, what, an eight-year run where they made the playoffs in consecutive years, made it to the conference finals, made it to the conference semifinals a couple of years ago, and one of the things that they've had is they've had their glue player. The player that, by the way, if he if Damian Lillard asked to be traded and decided not to play, that would certainly be acceptable. He's that type of player. He is the anti-Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is the guy that, you know, maybe is your sixth man, maybe cracks your starting lineup, but certainly has not earned enough clout to be able to sit and not play until he's traded. Damian Lillard is that type of player. Damian Lillard, over the last couple of years, has had that opportunity to move on and play for maybe a more competitive team. Maybe become a 1A with another star in another city and maybe increase the opportunity that he could win an NBA championship. You're looking at eight straight seasons of the Blazers making the playoffs. Five of those years, only making it past the first round. You know, Nate McMillan got the team three years in a row in there. And if you look back from really 82-83 
all the way to 2003, you're looking at an incredible run by the Portland Trail Blazers and their team. Whether it's coaches Maurice Cheeks, Mike Dunleavy, P.J. Carlissimo, Rick Adelman, uh, Jack Ramsey. You know, and, and look at it. From 82-83 all the way until 2002-2003, which is 21 consecutive years, the Portland Trail Blazers made the playoffs. Unfortunately, they didn't win an NBA championship. They did win one under Ramsey in 76-77 with Bill Walton as their, uh, you know, let's say Damian Lillard right now. Obviously, we're talking about different players, but we're talking about star caliber number one player. And obviously, Bill Walton was that. Could have a conversation about Bill Walton being a Hall of Famer, and I'll take I'll take any argument with anybody that wants to say that Bill Walton isn't a Hall of Famer because I think that's uh now you know to me it's it's crazy to think that people that have not seen or did not watch Bill Walton play cannot think of him as an absolute one hundred percent unequivocal Hall of Famer, and he is. You know, as and thinking about the Blazers, because I really do want to hammer this point home, because uh, we're looking at a wide open field when it comes to the NBA this year. Obviously, you got Boston, Milwaukee, Phoenix, you know, Denver, Cleveland. Um, talk about teams like let's say New Orleans and Memphis, who you think are going to be good. Philadelphia is is a lot of people's favorite in the Eastern Conference. Um, not a lot has been spoken about when it comes to the Portland Trailblazers. And Damian Lillard has not played a ton this year, but they're sitting there 11 and 8 right now. And they have some depth, some depth that they really haven't had in past years. I think Anthony Simons is going to be a legitimate 20 plus point scorer game. I like the acquisition they made from Detroit to get Jeremy Grant. I think Josh Hart who they got in the McCollum trade last year. And think about it. The trade of C.J. McCollum uh, almost looked like it was kind of like a giving up in a way. You know, another kind of a number two player to to Lillard, which McCollum was over the past couple years. By the way, he's helping it out. Um, You know, the team that he ended up getting traded for too, New Orleans. You know, they look like a much better team with them. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was a team that made a run deep into the playoffs this year. But I look at Portland and I I just see it. I could see them getting in the NBA Finals this year. I see them right now or within the next couple months asserting themselves as a legitimate top two or three team in the entire sport. And I think part of it is, you know, the thought of a healthy Lillard, but knowing that he's got help. With Simons, with Grant, with Hart, um, Yosef Nurchik. Uh, I think uh, Shaden Sharp is going to help them out. I thought that was a solid pick for them. Guy who didn't play at Kentucky but went to school there. They took him in the first round, seventh overall pick. I really think they have some depth that they haven't had in past years. So you could mark it on this show that it's officially on the record. And when you see the emergence of the Portland Trailblazers, I think it would be time to look at it and say... Hey, once again, John was right. So George Hallis, I think of him as the you know legendary coach, certainly a top two or three coach in the history of the NFL. And I like the fact that his name is out there a lot more. You know, Bill Belichick within the next couple of years, as long as he chooses to continue to coach 
the New England Patriots, is probably going to pass, you know, Hallis for all-time wins when it comes to pro football. And Hallis started his career as a head coach in 1920, coached all the way till 1967 with the Chicago Bears, and didn't coach during World War II, like a lot of people didn't work during that time. And Hallis really is a definition of what the NFL has been for the past 100 years. Imagine 1920. I mean, very few coaches really emerged themselves over the, the next series of years. Curly Lambeau comes to mind. Um, you think later on it wasn't until uh, the likes of Paul Brown and Vince Lombardi. And, of course, what we look at when we think of the greatness of Bill Belichick. But one of the things that stands out for George Hallis was he was known for to be a good judge of talent. One particular instance, he was wrong. And you're talking about one of the top players. And you'd have to say maybe top 100, top 50 I don't know how many players you're going to have to name in the NFL before George Blanda's name goes out there. I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying he's a top 20 or top 10, but he was a very efficient passer, but a very effective player for playing for, what, 27 years. He played until his late 40s. He had the ability to kick in addition to uh, go under center and run an offense. But George Hallis didn't believe in him as a quarterback. George Hallis didn't believe that he had the ability to run uh, what was the Chicago Bears offense at that time. And he made a mistake. Blanda goes to the AFL. First two years of the uh, American Football League, he leads the Houston Oilers to AFL championships. The first two AFL champions are the Houston Oilers, and they would not be AFL champions if it wasn't for George Blanda. And George Blanda... Had a very good decade career, for the most part, in his 30s with the Houston Oilers. And George Blanda, a person that was respected very much for his judge of talent, somehow missed that. And I don't know where, I don't know how you miss that. I don't know how you miss a player that ends up being in the Hall of Fame. Now, was it ego? Was it one of those things that Blanda could do multiple things? He could kick the ball and maybe he only looked at him as a kicker. Maybe he, he looked at George Blanda and, and, and took it to heart and said, hey, how could you be a quarterback in the National Football League and also kick? I don't know. It could have been something as mundane as that. But looking at the grand scheme of things, I look at George Hallis and I think he's an all-time winner. I love the fact that he coached in five different decades from 1920 to 1967. He was the epitome of the Chicago Bears. And if you think of Chicago Bears football, you shouldn't think of anybody else, whether it's Gail Sayers or Walter Payton or Dick Buckus or Mike Singletary or Mike Ditka or whatever else you want to say. There is no Chicago football without George Hallis. But I say all these years later, how do you miss out and how do you misjudge a solid quarterback, a Hall of Fame quarterback, and an AFL champion, could have been NFL champion quarterback, in George Blanda. Now, Hallis won five NFL championships himself. Like I said, is in no way being uh, knocked off the pedestal that he is. You, you have a Mount Rushmore of all-time NFL head coaches. You know, There's Belichick, there's Lombardi. Pretty hard to name anybody else 
that's not George Hallis on there. Maybe Curly Lambeau is the fourth. If you're watching, you're listening, you're absorbing what it is that I'm saying, do you have a better Mount Rushmore of, of, of pro football head coaches than that? Don Shula's got to be in the mix. How much do you squeeze him in there? Yeah, it's hard to name three others without having to include Hallis. Special day in the world of sports. One of the biggest rivalries, if not the biggest rivalry, um, on the football field right now. And this is in all of sports. Forget just football. It's hard to name a better rivalry than Michigan-Ohio State. You're talking about two schools that go back a long time. The rivalry, the rivalry amongst the fans, um, the attention that the game gets. And you've said before, hey, Ohio State or Michigan could go undefeated the whole rest of the season. They lose to their rival then it's considered a lost season. There's very few rivalries in sports that you can even say that about. And you're also talking about the number two and number three teams in a respective country as we speak. So there is no other rivalry that exceeds that of Michigan, Ohio State. But I'm going to name a couple others, a couple others that I believe in that are up there. Yankees, Red Sox. Probably hard to name another one in baseball. Another one is Giants-Dodgers, especially since they went from you know the New York rivals to the California rivals. Um, those two are certainly the strongest in baseball. Uh, I think a Toronto Maple Leafs-Montreal Canadiens when it comes to the NHL and hockey, two original six teams, two teams that for generations have hated each other. Uh, I think of North Carolina Duke in college basketball. Um... Football, there's a couple. You know, I could think of the Philadelphia Eagles with either Dallas or Washington, but the Cowboy Washington Redskin football team slash commander rivalry to me exceeds any other one that I could think of in football. There's Pittsburgh, Cleveland, but remember there was a couple years where Cleveland wasn't in the NFL. There's probably some other ones that you can name, but to me, Washington, Dallas is probably one of the stronger rivalries that you see in a National Football League. Um, You could talk about Alabama-Auburn when it comes to college football. And I know there's a lot of Alabama and Auburn fans out there to say, you know, you can't can't talk about rivalries and not talk about what that means when those teams get together. And they they literally want to kill each other. That's the strongest rivalry that I could think of as far as just pure hatred. But I don't think it's up there on the level of Michigan and Ohio State. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Albert's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, we'll try to be with you again next week uh, for another edition of the Past Ball Show. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they've come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. 